All right, I'm excited about our new study in the book of Jonah. So please, let's turn there to Jonah, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. He's not a minor prophet because he was like, you know, under 18 years old. And he's not a minor prophet because he dug up coal or something like that. No, they're minor prophets just because the books are really small. And there's 12 of them right near the end of the Old Testament. And um, so let's read together here from Jonah, chapter 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Then they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? And what, what are the people? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days. And three nights. Father, we pray now from these words, from your scripture, from this man, Jonah, and his life, teach us. Give us wisdom and insight in our own lives, in our own relationship with you. And Spirit, convict us, comfort us, change us today. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 
You know, children sometimes do things that's, that's funny and cute. Take the game hide-and-seek. Do you remember playing that game with your kids when they were really little? They loved to play hide-and-seek, but they're really, really bad at it. You know, you'd start to count, and the kid goes to hide, right? And then when you're done counting, and you say, ready or not, here I come, they've hidden like 10 feet away from you behind the chair, and their feet are sticking out. You instantly see and know what's going on. You can see them behind the chair. So when you start to play the game, you could just instantly end the game in like one second. But that wouldn't be fun for anybody, right? So you kind of start to loudly wonder, you know, out loud, you say, where could they be? I can't find them. I wonder where you are. You're such a good hider. I think I better look in the dining room. And then you walk right past them as if you didn't see them. The poor kid can hardly stand it, right? They're giggling. They, they start to blurt out sometimes even. I'm right here behind the chair. And everybody laughs and, and there's a big hug and, and then there's the next words, right? Can we do it again? Can we do it again, daddy? And you joyfully play on. The little ones have so much fun playing hide and seek because they think they're actually hiding and they think that it's actually hard for us to try to find them. In their innocence and in their inexperience, they don't realize that we know everything that's going on. We see it all. It's cute, and it's very special. But sometimes even we as adults can play hide-and-seek, don't we? It's not so cute. It's not so innocent. It's not so special. We can try to hide things in our lives. We think we're smart, right? We think, we think we're sneaky. We think that actually because we didn't get caught, we got away with it. Or because no one saw me, it'll be okay. Or because it's in the privacy of my own home, it's nobody's business. But in the privacy of our homes or behind closed doors at the office or in the car or on the phone, we do things, we say things, if brought into the light we would regret and be totally embarrassed. We think we are hiding. We think we're pretty good at playing the game. But God's just like us as the parent. He knows everything. He sees everything. He lets us choose our own way, but it's impossible to hide from God. When you think about trying to hide our actions from God, it's, it's really kind of ridiculous because our God is omniscient he knows everything our god is omnipresent he is everywhere our god is omnipotent he's all powerful every single thing we do every single thing we think is present before god always god knows it all jesus said in luke 8:17 for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known or come to light See, chapter 1 of Jonah is a big game of hide-and-seek. The story of Jonah starts out with this faithful servant of God, a prophet, a really good believer, and then he tries to run from God. God asks him to do something, and instead of being obedient, he tries to flee from God as far as he can go. I think there's going to be a lot we can learn from Jonah as we apply his story to our lives. See, Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. 
Jeroboam the second reigned from 793 to 753. We see the prophet Jonah. He's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, where it says, Jeroboam restored the border of Israel from Label Hamath as far as the Sea of Abara, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. See, Jonah got this positive message from God to go tell Jeroboam the second that God would restore for him the borders of the northern kingdom. He got to tell Jeroboam that God would make it possible for him to be a successful military leader and restore the border of the kingdom of Israel, even though Jeroboam II didn't serve God. God would give the king success even though he didn't deserve it. The specific episode in Jonah's life lets us state exactly the setting of Jonah's life that during his life was a period of Assyrian weakness. The Assyrians, whose biggest city, whose capital city was Nineveh, in the time of Jonah, was engaged in a life or death struggle with the mountain tribes and people from the north that were able to push the frontier within a hundred miles of Nineveh. These years of weakness with the looming possibility of defeat goes a long way in explaining the readiness of the people of Nineveh to repent in chapter 3 under the message of the Lord. This once great kingdom had this great reputation of cruelty. It's now weak. It's now vulnerable. But it would soon again be strong and ruthless. It would overrun the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 and destroy Israel as a nation, wiping it off the map forever. They would also at that time surround the, the southern kingdom of Judah, the, its capital of Jerusalem, with sure victory at hand. No army could stop them. But God intervened. Hezekiah prayed and the prophet Isaiah prophesied. That story for us is in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. It details all that account for us. And it ends this way, saying, Therefore thus the Lord said concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by that same he shall return. And ye shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city and save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Syrians. That's the army that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Sure, victory became immediate defeat. Under the hands of the Lord, it says, And then when the people arose early in the morning, behold, those were all dead bodies, and Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. To these very people, less than a hundred years before this event, to these very people is where God sent Jonah. You know, the book of Jonah is like no other book of prophecy in the Bible. It's a narrative story. It's a book, it's a book full of story of, of this account of Jonah. It's not a book that's full of the prophet's prophetic oracles. Jonah's a didactic story. 
It's a story that's meant to teach us some very important lessons about God and about his plan and about ourselves. The book of Jonah contains 48 verses. But in those few verses, it contains an amazing story of the ups and downs and surprises and drama. It's a great story of excitement and suspense. But what is the book of Jonah all about? Well, it's not about a great fish, which is only mentioned four times. It's not about a great city, Nineveh, which is mentioned nine times. It's not even about the reluctant prophet Jonah, who's mentioned 18 times. What is the book of Jonah all about? It's all about God. God is mentioned 38 times in those 48 verses. The book of Jonah is about the will of God and how we respond to it. It's about the love of God and how we share it with others. It's about the ever-marching plan of God. Jonah reveals God's power, God's purpose, God's plan, God's relentless grace. The first thing we see in our passage today is God giving Jonah a message of judgment that he was supposed to take to the city of Nineveh. And what was Jonah's response? He runs. Jonah runs. Jonah was a prophet of God. And from the other evidence we have, he was a good and faithful prophet of God. He was a true believer. He loved God and, was, and loved being used by God. When we see Jonah, we should see a good man, a godly man, a man who's trying to follow God and to do what he says. When we see Jonah, we should see ourselves. We too, like Jonah, are trying to follow God. We too are trying to do what God says. We too can be just like Jonah. When God tells us to do something hard, when God tells us to do something radical, how often is we put on our Jonah shoes and, and followed right down the same footsteps? God's message was perfectly clear to Jonah. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. There was no gray area. There was no misunderstanding. There is no ambiguity. God clearly tells him where to go and what to say. You know, sometimes knowing exactly what God wants us to do in decision moments of our lives can be difficult. Should I take job A or job B? Should I help out in ministry A or in ministry B? Should I buy this car? Should I go on this vacation? But many times, really, most often times, knowing exactly what God wants us to do in our lives is really clear. It's not gray. It's not ambiguous. Should I date someone who's not a believer? God has a very clear answer. No. Should I be lazy at work? No. Should I share the latest juicy news about what's happened to so-and-so? No. Should I give generously of my time and talents and treasure to my church? Yes. Should I be reading and applying God's word to my life? Yes. Should I forgive that person who has hurt me so badly? Yes. Should I be slow to become angry? Yes, and this list could go on and on and on. The Bible is crystal clear about many of the life decisions we have to face. Crystal clear. It's not that we don't have the truth. It's not that we don't know the truth. It's not even that we can't handle the truth. It is that we don't want to obey the truth. We choose not to. We flee from the presence of the Lord. We put on our Jonah shoes and run. 
See, Jonah didn't run from God just because he wanted to be rebellious. No, Jonah had really good reasons not to obey God. God told him to go to Nineveh. You heard that, right? Nineveh, the largest city of Israel's arch enemy. God clearly told him to do that. You can imagine Jonah saying to himself, no way, God doesn't want me to go to those terrible people. God would never ask me to do something like that. The people of Nineveh were nasty and cruel. Their cruelty was known throughout the whole region. Even to this day, they are marked out as one of the most heartless and merciless people. It was a Syrian policy to never keep their captives alive. They gloated over their victims and engaged in every atrocity. They would hold their victims down, pull out their tongues, cut off their ears, gouge out their eyes, cut off their nose. They would skin their victims alive. They would impale their victims alive on stakes and then lift them up on poles up over the walls of the city so that all the townspeople would cower in fear knowing that death and destruction was on their way. There would be pyramids of human skulls outside of conquered cities. They were vicious. And frankly, Jonah hated them. He wanted absolutely nothing to do with them. There was no way that this righteous Jewish man thought that that God would want anything to do with these horrific people. Jonah didn't want to bring God's message of condemnation to them because he feared something. Look in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. tells us very clearly why did Jonah run. Jonah 4 2 tells us, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He hated these people so much that he knew that if they responded to his message, that God would show them grace that God would show them mercy, that God would show his steadfast love and not bring about their coming destruction. He did not want God to show them mercy. So he ran away. And in his mind, he justified his actions. He went to that port city of Joppa, bought a ticket to Tarshish. Tarshish was all the way on the coast of Spain. It's near Gibraltar. It's approximately 2,200 miles away. That would be the distance from Youngstown to Los Angeles. But the distance to Nineveh was less than 500 miles to the northeast. That would be the distance of Youngstown to Maine. In essence, Jonah ran as far as he could in the opposite direction. He didn't just refuse to go. He chose to purposely go away from what God wanted him to do. Joan, in his mind, had really good reasons for not obeying God. It was easy to justify his disobedience and to deceive himself into thinking that that running away was the right thing to do. You see, the more we get to know Jonah, the more we're honest with ourselves, the more we see ourselves. We do the very same thing. When we disobey a clear teaching from God's word, 
we usually have a really good reason. We're not just outright rebelling. We try to justify our actions. We've thought it through and we justify our disobedience. We deceive ourselves into thinking that our sinful choice is actually the better choice, is the right thing to do. We date someone who's not a believer and we justify it by saying, well, we love them and maybe God will use me to bring them to Christ. We don't put in a full day's work for a full day's pay because why should we? No one else does that. We share the latest juicy news because people need to know how we can better pray for each other. We don't make church a priority in our lives because we tell ourselves over and over again the lie that I don't have to go to church to be a good Christian. We don't make time to regularly spend time with God because we're just too busy doing other really important things in our lives. We choose not to forgive that person who hurt us so much. Dad doesn't, doesn't want me to be weak. We choose not to deal with the problem of anger because we wouldn't have the problem of anger if everyone just did what we told them to do. It's not my problem, it's their problem. For every clear teaching of the scripture, there is a convenient, selfish excuse that we can come up with that will justify our disobedience. Jonah did it. We do it. Jonah turned his back on being obedient to God. And so do we. He did such a good job of justifying his actions that where do we find him next? Asleep. Jonah's rest in verses 4 through 6. God had caused the wind to whip up on the sea, this great tempest that was threatening to break up the boat. These seasoned sailors were so afraid that they threw over their cargo. They prayed to any and every God they could think of to help them. Where's Jonah in the midst of this commotion? Where's Jonah while the ship is being threatened to break up and everyone on board is about to lose their life? He's asleep. He's fast asleep. He's so content with his decision to disobey God that even when God started to get his attention, he was still asleep. He was so comfortable in his sin because he had so fully justified his actions. He had completely deceived himself that what he was doing was right. We can so easily be just like Jonah. Sin is a way of of looking so easy. Sin is a way of looking so right. It's so beautiful. Then we find ourselves willfully choosing to go down that path away from God. And then we become comfortable asleep in our sin. The lure of selfishness to each one of us is so strong drawing us to sin. Think this morning. Are there any clear teachings of Scripture that you've put aside? Are there any truths of God's Word that you know God wants you to do, but you've just chosen to justify your actions? We all have them. We've all done it. Open up your heart to God, to the Holy Spirit this morning. Let Him start to move you back into obedience to God. It might not be easy. It might actually be very hard to take those choices back of obedience. Because we can become so comfortable in our sinful choices. Will you this morning choose God's truth and his plan about his blessings and his timing for your life? Or will you choose your own way, which seems right, but in the end will only leave you wishing that you'd never disobeyed God to begin with? 
Next, we see God's response, verses 7 through 10. God caused this great storm to arise in the sea. God is the one controlling the action. He gave the message to Jonah. He's calling the, causing the storm on the sea to stop Jonah. After a lot of praying to a lot of gods, the storm rages all the more. There was something about the timing of the storm. There was something about the way the storm came about. There was something about the very actions of the storm itself that made the sailors think, this isn't just some normal storm. So they gathered all the people together to find out on whose account this evil has come upon us. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They rattled off these five questions really quick. The rapid-fire questions enhance the feeling of the desperation that the soldiers had in this situation. Who caused the storm? What's your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? What are your people? Jonah comes back with one answer. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. It was not good news to the ears of the sailors. At the end of verse 10, he tells us that Jonah had already told them that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. They already knew that Jonah's God was not pleased with him and that Jonah was directly being disobedient to what God had told him. See, it was common in that day to believe that your God was a national God. And that that your God only did things within the borders of its own land. These sailors were polytheists. They believed in many gods of varying abilities and varying locations. So when they took on Jonah, they probably thought that, well, the God of Israelites, that was fine, confined to, to Israel. But now Jonah had told them that the God that he worshipped, the God that he feared, was the Lord of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah testified that God was the, of Israel was the one true God over all of creation. Jonah knew it wasn't possible for him to flee the presence of God. But that was news to the sailors, right? It, it says that they were exceedingly afraid and they exclaimed, what is this that you have done? This is what they were saying. What kind of idiot runs away from the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea on a boat? They now know that all their lives are in great danger because God was coming after His runaway prophet. What an amazing scene full of peril and and fear and theology. Don't you ever wish sometimes that God would come after us like he did Jonah? Don't you wish sometimes that God would chase us down in our disobedience and immediately hold us accountable for our actions? Well, maybe not, right? Because that would be terrible, be fearful. Our God is so gracious to us. Perhaps a little holy fear would be a good thing to help us in our obedience. However, most of the time, God doesn't work that way. God's choice is to allow us to choose. And then he allows us to reap the consequences of our choices. As Romans 1 says, God gives us up to our choices and to their consequences. I knew a man in the church I served at as a youth pastor that would always share this peculiar story in his testimony, how he came to Christ and how God saved his marriage. He was a lineman working on electrical power lines for the electric company. And one day when, when his life looked grim and hopeless, there was little hope for himself and his marriage, he uttered this phrase, I would give my right arm 
if I could get my marriage straightened out. Right. You know what happened? Within a week, he lost his whole right arm in a work accident. In response, he gave his life to Christ. And God healed his marriage. See, sometimes God does use life circumstances to get our attention. Sometimes God uses life circumstances to inspire us to evaluate our lives. Many, many people come to Christ through a time of crisis in their lives. When we've done all that we can do, when we've done everything and it's not working, we finally turn to him for help. And where is God? He meets us right then and there, right in the midst of our troubles. See, right now, if you're going through a troubled time in your life, right now is the perfect moment to look for God, to passionately look for Him, to seek after Him, to open up your heart, your mind, your thoughts, to learn from Him. It's often through the difficulty that our hearts are softened and our minds are open so that God can teach us, comfort us, and guide us. If you're running from God, if you're knowingly not following God, perhaps God is using this present difficulty in your life as a wake-up call. It's a way to get your life back in order with Him. Well, you would think that in this moment, Jonah would fall on his knees and he would repent and he'd pledge to do God's will and he would ask God to rescue him and the sailors, but he doesn't do that. He just continues in his rebellion The sea is getting increasingly worse. Something has to be done fast. Jonah knows the sea is a tempest because of what God is coming after him. So Jonah says to the sailors they should toss him overboard and then the sea will quiet down. Now the sailors desperately want the sea to calm down. They're in fear for their lives. But throwing Jonah into the sea just might make the God who is causing the sea to storm to get even more angry. So instead, of a, instead they attempt to row to land, but it says very specifically that the sea grew even more tempestuous against them. They had no choice. They prayed to the Lord that he would not hold them accountable for Jonah's death, and they tossed him overboard. Instantly, the sea ceased from its raging. And these pagan sailors feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The God of the Hebrews had proven himself to be the God of heaven, the Lord of the land and the sea. They feared his power, but they probably never took it to the next step of truly getting to know this one true God. You see, folks, it's one thing to fear God. It's one thing to fear the power of God. It's totally another thing to pledge your life to follow him. Many people might fear God. Many people want the blessings of God, but but they're not really wanting to follow him. Fearing God or wanting to go to heaven is not the same thing as following God and wanting to be obedient to him. See, Jesus is not just our savior in our moments of crisis. He's our Lord of our everyday life. Jonah knew this storm was because of him and he could have stayed on the boat and tried to save himself and then perhaps caused the whole ship to wreck. 
But he also knew that God was coming for him and not for the sailors. So taking responsibility for his actions, not wanting his actions to harm the sailors, he asked the sailors to hand him over to God by tossing him over the boat. Jonah takes a step in God's direction, realizing the seriousness of his actions. He takes responsibility, but he doesn't really repent. He doesn't fall on his knees. He doesn't pray, repenting of a sin, pledging for, to do God's will, asking God to calm the storm. And he'd rather be thrown in the sea. He'd rather die. Jonah had given up on following God. But God had not given up on Jonah. Jonah had given up on following God. But God had not given up on following Jonah. Perhaps like Jonah, you've given up on following God in a certain area of your life. But God's not given up on you. He will pursue you with the enduring and everlasting love of a father. God's relentless grace. Well, chapter 1 ends with God pursuing Jonah. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. We'll talk more about this in next week's sermon. But God comes to the rescue. Jonah thinks he's going to die. But God's appointed a great fish to come and save Jonah. Again, God is taking the action. God gave the message. God brought the storm. God appointed the fish. Here's the reality. God is at work accomplishing his purpose. Do we want to obey and be a part of God's purpose? Or do we want to rebel and be a part of God's purpose? One way we know God's blessing, the other way we end up reaping the consequences of our choices. One way we know the joy of following God even in the midst of hard times and challenging thoughts. The other way we end up in the digestive tract of a giant fish. It's so important this morning that we allow God and his word, allow the Holy Spirit to move in us and to challenge us and to change us. The story of Jonah is not just some great story God did some 2,700 years ago. No, the story of Jonah is alive right now before us in God's word and is presenting to us these truths. God is speaking to each of us today from his word. What is he saying to you? Perhaps today you need to stop running from God and start running to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in confession. We are like Jonah. We are. We've come to difficult moments in our lives where our selfishness has reigned in our hearts and we have chosen to be disobedient to you, to run from your command and to choose our own way. We've done it over and over and over again. Lord, we confess our sin to you. We repent and we turn from that. We right now acknowledge you and your plan for our lives. And we willfully right now submit our thoughts, our actions, all of it, 100% of it, to you, to your will, to your word. For Jesus, you are our Savior. And we are, we sang to you, glory, I'm saved. But Jesus, we also profess you as our Lord, the King of our everyday lives, the ruler of our choices, 
So we confess. We ask for forgiveness. We pray now that you would renew us in following you. That we would run to you. In Jesus' name, amen.